Recorded live from the mats of Radical MMA in New York City, the Martial Culture Podcast. Your source for in-depth combat sports and martial arts insights with Coach Renee Dreyfus and Matt Peters. Ring the bell and let's get it on. Martial Culture Podcast here again for another week of fantastic martial culture insights with Matt Peters and Coach Renee. Renee, what's going on? Not much. How are you, my friend? I'm doing fantastic. No complaints on my end. Beautiful day. Wonderful well, day. Sun's not out, but you know it's not hot. No, and I had a great day of training today with uh, our wonderful guest here today, who I'd like you to introduce. I, I'm, I apologize, I'm Mar- Mariko. Yes, I got it. Perfect. <laughs> so we have uh, Renee's beautiful, talented wife, Mariko, uh, a fighter of her own uh, skill and ability, and. Uh, she trains here with Renee, and uh, they just got done training. And, and was I was up here listening, and I just heard like people punching, and I heard Renee like grab him by the foot, pull it hard, and I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> what is going on downstairs? I'm scared of what. Who is going to come up those stairs? Uh, actually, actually, it's funny because what we were doing downstairs is exactly what I'd like to talk about today. But actually, it wasn't the foot. I said grab her by the hair and yank her hair. <laughs> so I instructed a a student to like really go after and attack her, grabbing by the hair, start punching her. Like, for real, for real. Yeah. Because it was a self-defense class. So uh, that's coming to what we'd like to talk about a little bit today. But, uh, you know, there were some MMA fights this week, too, which I would like to cover. The big tournament in Japan, Ryzen, which is the uh, new promotion in Japan that kind of takes the place of Pride. Pride was sold to the UFC, but they pulled a fast one on the UFC. They sold them everything. Uh, the, the contracts, though, were kind of, like, really not... Uh, very legally enforceable. So everything they sold the UFC was valueless except for the videos. So the UFC <laughs> sp- spent like millions and millions of dollars on just some like some video. And uh, all the all the pride people were went off and tried to create uh, other shows and most of them are still in Ryzen right now. So they, <laughs> they kind of pulled a fast one on the UFC. Uh, unfortunately, MMA in Japan has been on a downturn and not really what it was uh, 10 years ago. 10 years ago, you know, you had some great fighters, and 20 years ago, you had some great fighters coming out of Japan. And now, you know, it's, it's kind of in a rebuilding phase. And I think that everything comes in, in waves. But they do, did have some interesting fighters last night on the, on the card. And uh, I want to talk about their, their female star of Ryzen, is Reina. And she's, uh, she's pretty fantastic. Yeah, they just finished up, right? Because they... Uh, just finished up. Obviously, in their, during Japan, Japan yeah. time. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, right before the podcast, um, we were just kind of catching up on a lot of things what they were doing. Awesome. They have two big stars, um, Reina, whose last name, Michael, what's her last name? Uh, I believe it's Kubota. Kubota, right. And she has been, uh, she's from the shoot boxing style. Uh, and Michael, you said, when did she start training? She started shoot boxing when she was 12. Right. And um, for those guys who don't know, shoot boxing is. A style that's very, very, very popular in Japan. Um, similar styles are popular in Russia, but basically it's all the strikes of Muay Thai plus uh, kicking, punching, elbows, knees. And even sometimes they, they switch to Thai, Thai uh, Burmese rules and they allow headbutts. But most of the time it's just Thai rules uh, plus all the throws of wrestling and judo. So, you know, you throw a jab, cross, hook, and then shoot a double leg takedown or you do a big judo toss or something like that. So it's a it's a MMA stand-up. Mm-hmm. It's a great modality to train in. And uh, she's a fantastic fighter. She She's fantastic. Their other 
a standout is a guy named uh, Nakusawa Tenshin, who we talked about on an earlier podcast, and he comes from a uh, karate background, Kyokushin, knockdown karate, and he's 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 pretty tough, and he had a a really amazing bout as well. So I just want to talk about those two fights, and and what's going on there. But unfortunately, the rest of the card was really like really like bad, mm-hmm. like bad. And one of they had one Jerome LeBanner, who was a great kickboxer twenty years ago. He's 44. He hasn't had an MMA fight in seven years. And they brought him in because he, he's known. You know, the, it's ja- on Japanese TV. So they, they also brought in uh, a Japanese fighter named uh, Yamamoto Miyu, who you guys might know, Kid Yamamoto was a big, he fought in the UFC, he didn't do well, but he was really big in Japan. The whole Yamamoto family is very well known as the fam, the first Jap- Japan's first family of wrestling. Mm. And, um, but she's really old, and um, she really, there's a lot of these people shouldn't be fighting. So it's kind of like the Japanese MMA scene has always had a little bit of sideshow element, but um, sometimes they really go for star power rather than getting people who are really any good. Mm. Um, so there was a mixed bag. It was a mixed bag, unfortunately. Can you it, watch that uh, on in the United States? Is there some place you can watch it, or is it online? I'm Through sure there's channels. Got, <laughs> yes, right, right. I'm, <laughs> you know, um, there are some sites that people in the know go to. Uh, but uh, I might go. It's on. What was it on TBS? What, what channel? What's it was Japanese uh, Fuji TV. Fuji TV. So there's a way to get Fuji TV. I think if you pay for cable, mm-hmm. but um, maybe they might have some site like Fuji TV site. So it's 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 regular TV. So yeah. it shouldn't be. They were actually new. streaming it online this morning. Oh really? Where? Oh, yeah, it's done. But they, on their own website. Oh right, right. Oh. But you don't, they don't have a replay or anything. I don't. I don't know about that. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Next time, next time, I'd like to watch it directly. But that's yeah. great. Um, so there's that fight. There's some uh, trash talking between Bisping and and oh yeah, and, lots. And, you know. They were up in the Toronto um, last this weekend and Friday. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Well. Bisping, he knows how to push the buttons for sure. He does. Uh, I like GSP just sitting there, just smiling, enjoying every little bit of it. And as Toronto is cursing Bisping because <laughs> they're all for GSP. Where where's the fight going to take place? Right next door. In in New York, yeah, no Madison Square Garden. So that's the next one. It's in uh, November fifth, is it? November fourth. Fourth. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, that's gonna be a great one. I know you're voting for Bisping. Yes, all my <laughs> all my hopes and dreams rely on on uh, on that guy. Because we had a bet. We don't have to remind anybody. <laughs> about I think we do. Too. I think we do. That if you lose, you get to choose either me, Jilson, or Professor Ken. And if it's me, I get to choke you unconscious. If it's <laughs> can I tap? Ken gets to Am I allowed it? to tap at least? Yeah, you Not can tap. Go unconscious. <laughs> I can tap, but I'll just ignore it. <laughs> oh man, I'm just a mean person. Well, I've never experienced it, so I'm always up for new experiences. So uh, you know, actually, actually, I had uh, one one uh, fighter. He's getting ready. He told me he'd never been choked out. I said, "You've never been, Marlon. You've never been choked out." And he's like, no. And I said, he's like, almost a few times. Says, so okay, you're gonna go out now. Mm-hmm. And you have to feel it so you don't if you're fear pro- it. If you're gonna fight professionally, or at least am- even amateur, you gotta at least feel it. Once. Yeah, it's so it's just it's just like something you you have to do it so you don't fear it. Get over the fear, yeah. Yeah, and it doesn't actually hurt you. There's mm-hmm. a tremendous amount of medical evidence that this you know, as long as you're a healthy individual, mm-hmm. getting choked unconscious in a in a uh, carotid restraint is not very dangerous. Obviously, if I let it go. You know, if I hold it forever, you die, of course. But, you know, you know, if you just let it go, there's, there's no, no harm. So if GSP wins and then a week later I die, 
Renee, <laughs> come after Renee. <laughs> uh, that uh, interesting. I, the, when you're talking about the fear, oh, GSP, please. <laughs> getting rid of the fear stuff. I, I I haven't fought professionally or even amateur. Or really, even a real really? fight. I, I thought you had a, a quite a quite well, an extensive. I, I was in the UFC a little bit, but it was mainly <laughs> as a person in the audience. Um, but I, I recently I started a new job, and there was a lot of trouble with transitioning to the new job. And uh, we we uh, at the training class we. We were repeating this mantra to ourselves: "Do do that which you fear, and the death of fear is certain." Mm-hmm. And I just I did what I didn't want to do multiple times, and I learned to get over that fear. Yeah, that, you know that's wonderful. But that's exactly why I really recommend uh, jujitsu mm-hmm. is because you can get into a position of tremendous discomfort, which induces fear, mm-hmm. and and a choke, which is basically I'm simulating murder. Because that's what I'm doing. If I held a choke, you'd die. So all your instincts tell you, you're in tremendous, tremendous danger. And you have to override them and get over them and deal with that emotion and push through. And, you know, we had a podcast. You haven't uploaded yet, but we did a podcast where, you know, we talked about the hero's journey. And we'll, we'll be putting that up soon, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I assume. And uh, I talked about some experiences in Japan that really molded me. And, and now those fears are not where, where what they used to be. I, I don't fear being pinned. I don't fear being uh, someone crushing my, my ribs. And Michael, you had the same thing mm-hmm. when you started yeah, too, right? of course, yes. Yeah. Well, you know, when you first start, tell me about your experiences. <laughs> Especially from a, a girl's point of view, it's hard being a girl in a class of 30 guys, you know, the right. only girl or yeah. one or two girls. I was, uh, I was actually sparring with a guy today and he started complaining because he was tired. Like He was telling me, oh, I started training at 10 a.m. I'm tired. Mm. <laughs> like, uh, do you think it's easy for me to fight a guy? <laughs> He's a lot stronger, a lot heavier. He had like 50, 60 pounds on me. <laughs> it's not easy for me. <laughs> Yeah. And and when you first started, it was it was frightening, right? It was yes, a big guy sitting on top of me, just just that. I know he was not trying to kill me, but it's just yeah, it's, there was a lot of fear. And how, when? Well, go ahead. Sorry, how long have you been in in martial arts? Um, I started training um, self defense with my husband about four years ago. Yeah, just self defense. Just self defense. Yeah. yeah. And I started doing jiu-jitsu about almost three years ago. Yeah, but it wasn't so serious in the beginning. Mm-hmm. It was really, really serious. <laughs> Just trying two, to defend two, yourself against this guy, right? Two, two, I guess <laughs> it's about two, two yeah, and a half well, years of serious three, training. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But just the self-defense to be in with. And because I wanted my wife to feel safe. And, mm-hmm. and it, was a good, it was a good bonding thing, you know? Mm-hmm. But also, I know, Mariko, we were talking about self-defense later, but, uh, you know, comes into why I teach what I teach. And um, I would like to say, just, just getting back to what, what we're doing today, um, the last podcast, I had a lot of feedback. Uh, people found it very controversial. And I'm going to double down on that controversy today. And we're going to go even deeper. And I'm going to say something even more controversial. Uh, so for you guys that haven't listened, it was why certain traditional martial arts are less functional than others. And uh, now I'm going to talk about a lot of the fallacies of training of even so-called, you know, real martial arts. Um, but let's go. Let's go back to the. To, to, let's start with um, with uh, Ryzen and uh, Reina's fight. She fought a um, really, really good fighter. Um, hold on, what's her name again? Andy Wen, I think her name is. How to pronounce it? Yeah, mm-hmm. Andy Wen. She's she fights out of uh, California, and she's the king of the cage champion. 
And the combination that Raina threw was just beautiful. High, low, just crossed uh, overhand straight, and then bam, hit a body shot. Very reminiscent of, for the guys who remember, Ernesto Hoost, who used to make a career in K1 by dropping people with body shots. Liver shot, bam. And uh, it, was, it was absolutely beautiful. Her striking was fantastic. And it just shows that the shootboxing ring has produced a lot of amazing talent. And I'd like to see more of those people over here. Just sometimes her weight class is atom weight, which is 105. And the UFC, unfortunately, does not have an atom weight class yet. So. What's the lowest they have? Uh, in, in MMA? Yeah. I have no idea. I'm sure, assuming it's 105. Yeah. I don't really think it's lower. In, in, um, in, yeah, I don't really know. That's a good question. I know in, in, in karate, amateur karate, and some other rings, they have the junior weight classes, which go lower. But those are junior classes. Obviously, you're dealing with like 16-year-olds or 18-year-olds. Sure. And, and people say, oh, karate's not MMA. But I'm, I'm talking here about Daidojuku or Kudo, which is MMA karate. So that's the only ones I know. They, they have a, you know, like 68-pound class where the people are doing uh, amateur gi MMA. And, and I think Combat Samba is the same thing. They, they have like a kid's version. But... Um, and in Thailand, they have uh, in Muay Thai. I know they they go lower than that too sometimes mm-hmm. uh, for the young younger kids. But I I don't professionally MMA an adult. I, I think one is the lowest. Now, uh, sorry, I'm cutting off topic here. I, I recently watched UFC one over the weekend, and they did awesome. It was an amazing <laughs> event. Um, but uh, there there wasn't weight classes back then. No. What, was, what was the what was I? I didn't really pay attention to the UFC at the beginning. What was the the catalyst to moving to weight class? Was it trying to be more professional and more fair to the fighters, or why why can't a heavyweight fight against a bantamweight or something like that? Right. Well, the whole idea of the MMA movement of the UFC started uh, as a it was basically a uh, a promotional video for Gracie Jiu Jitsu. So mm-hmm. the Gracie family had uh, one side of the Gracie family. The Gracie family is very big. But Horian Gracie, which is the son of Elio, uh, uh, oldest son, started the promotion. Is actually, if you ever saw the movie Conan Barbarian, you know the movie Conan mm-hmm. Barbarian, the original one? The producer of that, John Milius, was also the producer of the, the first UFC. Mm-hmm. So that's why they brought in the Octagon. I don't know if you remember that there was a movie called The Octagon in the 80s. It was a ninja movie. Mm-hmm. So he said, oh, we have to have an Octagon. Because like, you know, I, you so know, that's, the, that's the origin oh of the Octagon. Right? So People don't, <laughs> the ninja movie from the 80s. Wow. But the, uh, they, I don't realize that it was, it was funny, but it was actually safer than a ring. Because if you notice, Pride... And a lot of these other uh, organizations, they still have rings and people fall out of them all the time. And it's not safe. And also, having a barrier is more akin to a real-life encounter. So there's these elements of the cage that, one, add realism because people don't get into fights in big, open Iowa cornfields. You know, you're going to be in an enclosed space, an elevator, a hallway. We're going to talk about self-defense and statistics in self-defense. It's most common to be triangulated, which means backed up into a corner by two or one person. You can't get out. You're in a box, and then you're stuck in that box. And what's that box? Usually it's some walls. So that's why the walls of the octagon give you that reality where no other sport does. And you could say the rings do, but the rings, you know, ring ropes bend, and you can bounce off them, and it's not the same. 
you can't throw someone in double leg into a, into a, into a ring. They fall out of the, the ring, and the ref has to stop it. You get entangled. When you throw someone against the cage, they can use that cage as a weapon against you, base themselves against it, or they you can use the cage against them. It's it's a, it's a, another weapon in the cage, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, in, in the cage itself. I mean, so uh, the octagon started as a as a joke, but it's actually a really important innovation in in understanding how to make a fight ring that's real but you asked me about the weight classes and when the movement was was you know it was it was um in the beginning the ufc was a bunch of jiu-jitsu guys fighting people who didn't know anything we're, we're, i wouldn't say that they, they were single style so you fought mm-hmm. really like gerard Gordeaux that we were talking about him just before the podcast that he was a he's a fighter very well known for cheating but he's also a great striker it's a very very good striker with some grappling training but not much but really great striker kind of a bad guy, eye gouges people, and just not cool. But uh, he's known for blinding someone in Japan, a guy named Nakayuki, and he fought him in Valley Tudo uh, one or two, I think, and he blinded Nakayuki uh, permanently. And uh, because he was losing, he was getting heel hooked, so he just stuck his thumb in his eye and destroyed his eye. So he's a jerk. That's why people are like, oh, we always held the choke on him in the UFC too long. But the, 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 as I understand it, he was cheating on Hoist. He tried to bite him, and he, he tried to do all sorts of bad things. So Hoist like, oh, you want to play that game? I'm going to hold this choke for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. But, and then at the end of the day, Hoist didn't, hold, didn't kill him or anything. But, but when, the, when people started understanding, oh, this is how Gracie Jiu-Jitsu works. And um, they, they, also the, the, it became harder to do it because, because obviously if you know what I know and then suddenly weight comes into, ma- into play. Now, it's not to say that strength is more important, but the jiu-jitsu guy will need more time to do what he needs to do. At the same time that people started getting more wise to what was going on, and the big fight was the Dan Severn Hoist Gracie fight where that fight went on forever. And, and I'm pretty sure that fight, when they played it on pay-per-view, got cut off because it went overtime. I'm pretty sure that was the one. Hmm. I'm not positive. I have to look it up. But I'm pretty sure that was the one that went overtime. But it, it, it went a long time. So a lot of people, it was that fight or then the fight after that. But it was way longer than people expected. And you know, when you go for pay-per-view, it's a certain block of time. You pay, so you 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 UFC or back then it was um, it wasn't so it was um, shit was the name of the company, it was uh, um, damn it I forgot but the company that owned the UFC right, um, they would go to the pay per view people and they'd say okay we need three hours and you pay for it and you'd only get three hours because after that it's like pro wrestling or boxing or soccer or whatever it is but you just get three hours and after that they cut you off so what happened was they were finding that the fights went longer because there was no time limit. If there's no time limit, you know, the fights go as long as they go. But then halfway through the card, the, the time learns out. <laughs> so you're like, what happened to the main event? <laughs> and that happened like there was another one. It was Dan Severn versus uh, Hoist. But there was another one. It was, uh, I think it was Shamrock Severn or something like that. It was in the one in Puerto Rico. That was a disaster. That's a long story. But, but so they found that, okay, as people started getting knowing stuff more, they started, the fight started getting longer. So the Dan Severn Hoist fight was quite long, and Hoist won with a triangle, but the fight was 15 minutes long. And they're like, crap, this is, this is or 20 minutes long, something like that, right? They're like, wow, this is a lot longer than we expected. 
And they started getting the fights cut off of the pay-per-view. So, so when they were, went live, the people would pay money and they wouldn't be able to see the finish of the fight. Hmm. So they said, oh, crap, we're going to start doing rounds. And we're going to start rounds. And then the minute you add rounds in, that's when weight class and strength really matter. Because I can go as hard as I need to go for five, three five-minute rounds. Well, it's not like I'm going to get that tired compared to, I don't know when this fight is going to end. Right. Mm-hmm. So the Gracies are very pure about this. They say, we do not want time limits. We want it to go on until it stops. Until it stops. So they would, you know, when they fought bigger guys, they could kind of slowly grind them down. Mm-hmm. Slowly grind them down. And there's, there's a, if you look at ancient warfare, there's a, a famous Hannibal, you know, Hannibal, mm-hmm. who invaded uh, uh, the Roman Empire with the elephants and all that. So um, he fought this one battle, and the battle's called Cannae, and he destroyed the Roman army. And any time the Roman army met Hannibal in the field, they would just get slaughtered because he was just too good. So what they started doing, they said, we're not going to actually fight him head to head. We're going to just eat away at him. And anytime he tries to fight us, we'll run away, but we'll clear all the the countryside of food and vegetation and will grind them down. And this was the general Fabian, and this is called the Fabian strategy, where you're like, grind them down, grind them down, grind them down, get him weaker and weaker and weaker, and then finally we go from the kill. And it actually took the, took the Roman army 10 years to do that. But this is kind of like when Gracie Jiu-Jitsu guys fight, guys who way outweigh them, that's, they, they employ that Elio strategy, which I call the Fabian strategy. It's the same thing. It's, I'm going to grind this guy down for as long as I need to, and then I'm going to get him. But they can't do that if they're time limits. Right. So once they're time limits, then weight classes start mattering. And that was really when it went. And then there was also, I think, the movement like, oh, this is human cockfighting and blah, blah, blah. But the weight classes came a little earlier. They, they, they were, the money side was the one side where it was, okay, we can't have people pay for pay-per-views that get cut off. But then the other side was, okay, you know, if we add in these time limits, then now weight classes matter. So they started with just, three-way classes, then it became five. You know, little by little, they expanded. Now there's just quite a number. Hmm. And it's nothing compared to boxing, though. Boxing has even more weight classes. Right. But that's uh, the history of weight classes in MMA. And, uh, and that's when they started doing rounds is when the Gracies stepped out of the UFC. They're like, if they're rounds, we're, we're, not, we're not part of this. And then Hoist Gracie, who was known in the UFC, went to fight in Japan. He had the epic war against uh, Kazushi Sakuraba. And that was uh, also agreed to be a no time around, which he lost. Um, he lost by decision, but they threw the towel in. But they, the fight is forty-five minutes Holy long. Moly. No, no, you know it's just it's just brutal. Wow. It's a brutal fight, and you know you can say oh he lost or whatever, but those are two great warriors who fought like crazy for forty-five minutes. And and Sakuraba weighed more than Hoyce. I mean, Hoyce is mm-hmm. not—he's not tiny, but he's—he's a—he's a lanky kind of guy. And uh, that fight went on forever. Unfortunately, uh, and I used to be a big Hoyce Gracie fan. He's kind of sullied his image by eventually uh, testing later in his career positive for steroids, mm. which is very unfortunate. Yeah. But um, but anyway, that's another story. Yeah. So that's sorry to, sorry to derail the, the risen conversation. Mm-hmm. So uh, we were talking about um, 
the fights from Risen last night, this morning. Oh, he's got more. <laughs> no, 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 that's good. That's good. It's good to keep me on track. So, you know, we have two people here say, Renee doesn't stop talking. So. Right. <laughs> but, uh, but you asked me a question, so I, I got to give the no, answer. No, it was a great answer. I, thank I, you, thank you. You see, you got a history lesson. We did. Yeah. You know, we got learned a Fabian technique. F- Fabian strategy. Strategy. Right? Yes, yeah. 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 Hannibal. Right. So, Risen. Okay. So, then the, the, the other, there was other uh, strikers, two other strikers uh, on the card. One was Andy Sawyer, and he's also an amazing Dutch Muay Thai fighter who, unfortunately, has not really done well in, in MMA. Um, but he's he's an amazing striker, and um, he he fought and, and it didn't go his way. He uh, wound up um, where what happened to him? He wound up uh, getting tapped out. No, I forgot. Let me do, 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 Sawyer. Yeah, yeah. No, he gutted out, but he lost by decision. So, but uh, he was really dominated um, in the grappling element by. Um, uh, Japanese grappler, and the other one was Tenshin Nakasawa, who fought. In this case, he fought a Japanese, one of the top Japanese boxers. He was more an amateur boxer, but he's transitioned to MMA. And Tenshin Nakasawa was a karate guy, and he's transitioned to kickboxing and then eventually to MMA. But he is like the new Japanese star. He's really young. He is just absolutely has bazookas. He's like Conor McGregor. He has bazookas in his fists. Mm-hmm. He touches you on the chin, you go unconscious. And he's actually very, very skilled. Uh, and I was, I was a little suspect that he would do well in MMA, but to, this fight proved him. He fought this boxer, and I think they kind of fed him a boxer, thinking the boxer would just box him, so it would be an easy fight. But the, the, the boxer, his name is um, uh, Yamo, Yamato Fujita. Uh, and this guy came in with double leg takedowns and grappling and uh, wound up being an MMA fighter. And it was an extremely interesting competitive match, which showed a lot of MMA, and Nakazawa defended pretty well and uh, wound up clipping Fujita with a really hellacious uh, punch to the jaw, probably broke his jaw. But then they kept fighting, kept fighting, and then it was eventually by decision. But uh, if we can find a place to to find find this fight, I I think it's... um, great fight to watch you can you can see that he's he's quite an up-and-comer and he might be the next standard bearer to make mma more popular because one of the reasons why japan isn't mma is not popular in japan anymore is they don't have really really marquee fighters anymore so obviously we were talking about last time nationalism takes an element of mma you know conor mcgregor iron irish guys love him you know bisping I mean, as I understand it, he's pretty popular in England. He, he carries that flag. Mm-hmm. You know, Canada, it's GSP. You know, and that was, with GSP's rise, of course, MMA got much more popular in Canada. And the same thing in Japan. And Japan lost their top fighters. And um, so Japanese don't like to see their guys getting the crap kicked out of them. And they, they've come to the UFC, and there have been very few Japanese fighters who have done well in the UFC. Mm-hmm. Very few, almost none. And it's, so they're like, well, you know, we don't want to watch our guys lose. Sure. So that's a shame, um, but hopefully he'll he'll get to a high level and and we can see Risen put on some good fights instead of like a card of some good fights and other ones that are just ridiculously bad. And you said they're relatively new. Yeah, they're kind of like the new Pride. So okay. it's all the same, most of the same. It's funny because I saw a promotional poster of all the the managers and things like that, and the people who are in the back end of the Pride and back uh, end of Risen, and they're all the Pride guys, the same guys. You're like, oh, that's the same guys from ten years ago, minus a couple here and there. Hmm. Um, I keep an eye on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it's it's nice to see the Japanese um, 
MMA scene kind of resurging. Hopefully it'll get big again. One thing I do like is each fight has its own different rules. So they don't go under unified oh, rules. So yeah. so that fight had that that card had some kickboxing rules, it had some MMA rules, and like each individual fighter organizes his rules with his opponent basically like oh we'll do these rules it'll be like one t- 10 minute round one 15 minute round 10 minute or it'll be like this or this or this or we'll allow this every 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 fight is a little different uh depending on the negotiation of fight so the japanese model of mma is just like the model of boxing where it's like it's the marquee fighter and we, we you posted something on our, our our facebook page about this it was like you know it, that the last pay-per-view, the 2016, was like kind of like not a great draw. Mm-hmm. And maybe they'll move into uh, a different model of pay-per-view or something right. like that, or TV. And I think, you know, the, M- the UFC was always about not pushing any one fighter, but pushing the experience. But Pride has always been about pushing Sakuraba or pushing, you know, whoever the, the champion of the moment is. You know, the, sometimes it was Hicks and Gracie. It wasn't even Japanese, but Japanese loved watching Hicks and Gracie. But it was like pushing this one fighter in this fight, this marquee fight, kind of like boxing where it's like, you know, Mayweather versus, versus Pacquiao. Like, we're, we're seeing that. We're not seeing boxing eight-round matches of fights and we'll watch this experience. No, we want to watch that main event. It's right. McGregor versus Mayweather. That's what we want to watch. Not the fights before that who cares <laughs> you know even, can't even tell you another boxer's name <laughs> right exactly right exactly so so that's the boxing model and the mma model the ufc model uh or the ufc model i should say has always been to provide an experience now if you go back and you remember i don't know if you remember elite xc no. elite xc was a was a mma promotion and it was trying to be like pride or boxing where they would try to be boxing promotions so they pushed kimbo slice and they pushed um shoot what was that female gina Carano. But the thing is, when you push a fighter and they're not good, your incentive <laughs> to cheat is very high. So there was a lot of shenanigans in that show, a lot of yeah. cheating, just like in boxing. Boxing's so like, oh, yeah. like the, the decision, the, the Triple G fight, like that, that was like, where, what the hell is this? You know, mm-hmm. this is not fair. This is, this is gross. So it becomes more corrupt because you're so invested in a person. Well, one of the reasons why the UFC is so popular, I think, is because we know it's real. We know, I mean, obviously there have been some bad decisions, but it's not fake. And anybody thinks out there is listening thinks it's fake, you, you, just, you know, put the crack pipe down. It's not fake. <laughs> <laughs> it is not fake. It's not rigged. Now, there, there have been, you know, in the history of the UFC, there have been, in the old, old days, there were some suspect fights. And there's some inter, inter-fighter agreements. Like there was one way back when where both fighters had a ponytail. And they both, they both made a handshake agreement that they wouldn't grab each other's ponytails. And that's not necessarily cheating, but it's th- these interfighter agreements are now you can't have them. Obviously, pulling hair is not legal anymore, but, but you, you have to go in and fight. You can't have contact and agree, okay, we're only going to throw low kicks for the first round or something mm-hmm. like that. You, know? you can't do that. that. You'll get thrown out. You'll get banned. So everybody knows that. It's fair. It's, it's above board. It's uh, well-regulated, and it's, there's no funny business. The minute you start promoting individual fighters instead of an experience, you get wedded to the success of that fighter, and you, you know, money's what pays. So you're gonna you're gonna start doing a funny business. Hmm. So um, that's why I like the UFC. I mean, for all its problems, it's it's been pretty clean. Where some of the other organizations either do weird sideshows or sideshow fights, like Bellator has now, or and Ryzen two, or you um, get wedded to one specific champion and push that and. You know, bad things happen. 
So, you know, we'll see. We'll see. It's very interesting. I'm, I'm, I mean, a lot of people are very critical of the UFC and where it is. I don't really get into, like, what they're paying fighters and that, but I can say I'm glad they're pushing a product that is not, that is believable. It's cheap and there's no cheating. It's above board. There's just two fighters standing in the ring and, you know, they're going to fight and they're going to be judged relatively fairly other than accounting for human error. Like, every now and again, there's some, some stupid judge who makes a decision, but mm-hmm. it's not because the sport is corrupt. It's because the judge sucks, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, that that can happen. And usually Dana White will say, oh, that was a terrible decision. We'll give you a rematch. You know, he's done that a few times. You know, yeah. like that was a robbery. So we'll do this fight again. Yeah. You know, that that's pretty cool. So that's the difference between the Japanese martial world and the American martial world. You know? Interesting. And the reason why Pride failed was because of the collusion with the Japanese Yakuza. Oh, really? Yeah. And it uh, they got taken off the of TV and it really went down the tubes because they, they the Yakuza had his claws in it. And um, that was not good. No. No. No, definitely not. Okay, I'm done. You're done. <laughs> All right, I'm going to mute his microphone. No. So uh, the transition to a conversation about what every person that comes in contact with Harvey Weinstein needs to take, and that is uh, self-defense classes. Self-defense, So you yes. guys have uh, training for self-defense. Um, let's talk about that. What, what does it entail? What, what uh, do people need to know? What... Uh, What's the skinny on self-defense? Yeah, you know, and that's, that's the thing. Is like, uh, and I'm going to post a video. It's a famous kickboxer. His name is Betty the Jet Urquidez, great master. And he's talking, it was a video posted in the Black Belt magazine. And they talk about, well, what's self-defense? And he, he comes like, well, you got to train real. You got to train right. real. Like, you have, to, you have to actually fight. And that's, that's part of it. But it's not the only part. But I want to leave the mic over to Mariko. And, and this is the thing. And I'm very critical of a couple guys. I mean, this, this is going to be... There's going to be lots of criticism. One of the guys I'm going to criticize is Jocko Wilnick, who is a jiu-jitsu guy. He's an amazing fighter. He's also an American patriot and hero because he fought how many tours of Navy SEAL in, in uh, Iraq and Afghanistan. And, and he has his own podcast. And he talks about you know, self-defense in one of these podcasts. And I'm extremely critical of, of, of things he said. It, it's, uh, although I agree with what he says, too. Basically, he says, you should carry a gun. <laughs> and then you should learn jiu-jitsu. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't learn jiu-jitsu, and I'm not saying you should or shouldn't carry a gun, but it's not that simple. It is not that simple. Carrying a gun is not the answer to your problems. Now, I'm not saying don't carry a gun or carry a gun. I'm not saying that. That's that for all those people who are into carrying guns. That's not the argument I'm saying here. I'm saying the argument is not that simple. The other thing is, okay, learn... You know, I want to learn how to defend myself knife, so I'm going to study Kali. No, it's not that simple. Uh, self-defense goes more than just real training or, or anything like that. It's, there's no simple answer. And uh, so I wanted to do that. But I want, I want to talk about, this is very important, I want to talk about a women's perspective. Because most guys, most people who do martial arts are guys. By numbers, it's just the fact that the, the, the population of martial artists, it, more men do it than women. But so it's very important to have a woman's perspective on the issue of, say, self-defense or um, just keeping yourself safe. And, and I want to talk to you, Mariko, you know, mm-hmm. before you trained jiu-jitsu, how did you look at life in your world? And then after you trained with, 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 with your training now, and, and she's just a white belt, the three-stripe white belt, but, but she's won some tournaments already at white and blue. And, uh, and it, but we also do a significant amount of self-defense training and, and I just want to, I want to get the women's perspective and you can, you can talk about anything you want. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but just, just that perspective of how you, how you felt before, even before you met me, I know groping and, right. you know, uh, uh, things like that are a big problem in Japan and, and here too. Yeah, and of. just, just, you know, like, yeah, like Harvey Weinstein, people in power kind of abusing their power to 
sexually harass or molest women. And it's not necessarily like, I'm going to put a knife to your throat and slash your throat, but I'm going to invade your personal space or something like that, you know? Right, right, anyway. yes. I, I've been groped on a train here in New York and in Tokyo too. I'm, I'm from Japan. Um, and it's not always a guy comes standing behind me and start attacking me right away. It's always like just a little touchy-feely, see how I react. And if I don't react, then it'll escalate. Right, and and there was one time I was um, I was in college in Seattle. A guy actually uh, chased me on campus. Uh, I managed to escape, but it was I didn't know what to do. I was just lucky. <laughs> so, um, just walking down a street at, late at night, it was always a fear for me, and because I didn't know what to do. Right. Um, right now, I, I feel much safer, um, more confident, and I just I know what to look out for. That, I, I think that's a big thing. Yeah, spatial, spatial awareness, knowing yes. that you can handle yourself mm-hmm. in, yeah. any, in most situations. Yeah. So that's a great benefit to, to have. I think a lot of women and, and men would benefit from Absolutely. just taking a couple classes to... to Build up confidence, mm-hmm. right? Right. I mean, any any even any sort of training can be helpful. Yeah. But um, and when we, we we have to define our terms here, you know. And when we're talking about self defense, what are we talking about here? And this goes back to I'm going to talk about one of my students, and we're going to call him. We're going to call him Napoleon, okay? Because I'm not going to use his real name. <laughs> that's not his Is real name. That's not, his real, that's not his real name, right? And I love him to death. He's a great guy. But he, you know, he he wrestled a little bit before. He did some. He loves jujitsu. He's had some fun. But when I tell him to train in a more aggressive context, he he resists me. So he's like, he just likes to come in and do some grappling and have some fun. And that is not what we do here. What we're trying to do here. So I was I was rolling with him the other day, and he, you know, when we we roll. We don't do jiu-jitsu versus jiu-jitsu. It's supposed to be an MMA paradigm, meaning he's trying to submit me, he's trying to slap, punch me in the face, but we simulate with slaps. He's trying to maybe throw a headbutt. He's trying to, you know, hurt me. Now, of course, we simulate the, the dangerous stuff, but at the same time, we're using every single weapon in our arsenal. We're not just being like, okay, you do jiu-jitsu, I do jiu-jitsu. No, that's not what we're doing. You know, that you might as well go to a jiu-jitsu sport, jiu-jitsu school. But he resists me, so he's rolling, and he doesn't throw one punch. And, or he'll do positions which leaves himself open because he did train a little jiu-jitsu at another academy. And I still think some of those habits are still there. It leaves him open to strikes. And, you know, I said, you know, you can't do that. And it has to be more intense. And, you know, sometimes I coach him in a very, very intense manner, which kind of puts him off, you know, and there's no criticism of him. He's a wonderful person who I'm honored to have as a student. And also, I'm very happy to call him my friend, you know? I tease him a lot, but uh, he's, he's a great person. But he's, he's, he's in this paradigm, especially, I think, because he wrestled, too, of I'm a sportsman. I'm a sportsman. We agreed to this box, and we talked about that box in a mm-hmm. number of caucus. We agreed to this box, and I'm comfortable in this box. And I'm going to train in this box, and we're going to have some fun. And he likes, as he's a little bit older, he likes being in this box, get his, getting his workout in and having some fun and this and that. And that is not, I don't care what martial art you're doing, it is not going to prepare you for certain aspects of self-defense. Now, what do I mean by certain aspects? This comes back to defining terms. Assaults are very wide and varied. And now I'm going to talk about another uh, post. <laughs> so I mean, it's just jump around, but, but bear with me, bear with me. So you know Joe Rogan. 
So Joe Rogan goes on and he, he's interviewing uh, someone on his podcast. I don't know what his reason is, but the guy was like a scientist or something like that, or social scientist. But he also does Aikido. I mean, he's a very, very, very dedicated Aikido practitioner. And he, he loves his Aikido training. And Joe Rogan's like, man, you are smoking crack if you think that stuff works. And, and Joe Rogan's right. And he's, he's desperately trying to defend his style as a legitimate self-defense form in front of Joe Rogan. And, and we'll po- I'll post that video up on the, on the Facebook page. But Joe Rogan's like, you are, you're, you're, in, you're crazy. You're looking at this thing and you think it's real and it's just make-believe and just crazy, like the Chi Masters mm-hmm. we were talking about. But then the guy says, well, I was in a self-defense altercation and Aikido worked. And he goes on to explain this, this situation. And there's no such thing as a technique that'll never work. And there's no such thing as a technique that'll always work. Be- it depends on the scenario context like we mm-hmm. talked about right. here. Now, the other thing is this. There are levels of violence. And Michael just explained one level. And this is how things happen very often. Is that, okay, someone's on the train getting a little too close. That's already violence. That's violence. Mm-hmm. Now, Michael, if we, we did the Jocko Wilnick, he says, go get a handgun. Michael, you know, drew her Glock, cocked it back, and blew it, blows brains out. Well, guess what? She's going to jail. <laughs> See, <it's> a, <laughs> that's already violence. And it's a, a violence that you can't, you know, or if your colleague, I take my knife out and slice his throat. You know, you can't do that. Right. So there are levels of violence, right. interpersonal violence. Now, I know one guy, and, I, and he's not a friend, but he, 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 he's a person I used to work with uh, back when, before I was a martial arts teacher. But he would stand chest to chest to people when he was talking to them. And he was a little bit taller, and he kind of looked down on them. And he wasn't touching them. But he's getting very, 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 very close and looking down at me. He'd talk to you and he'd be like, I want this and this and this. And that's violence. Mm-hmm. That is interpersonal and psychological violence. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, that's the lowest level of violence. On the other end of the spectrum, you have, you know, a guy, you know, who invades your home and, you know, shoots you or, you know, whatever, you know, um, you know, the, 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 the crazy psychopathic murderer who's using a machine or, you know, like the, the sniper on in Las Vegas recently. Sure. You have that level of violence, but you have all these categories of escalation in between. And you know, so if you're talking about self defense, you you have to understand that if you're a woman, look, Jocko Wilnick will never be groped on a train. <laughs> that is not going to happen. So he is thinking from his perspective, and, and I have a lot of respect for the guy. But his saying is, you really want to defend yourself by a Glock, you know. You're you seeing you're you're a man's perspective. Mm-hmm. You're not seeing the level of intimidation or violence that that a you know 105 pound woman is going to feel walking down the street. You'll never feel that, and you'll never know what it's like to be someone pushed up against you in the train, and you're not really sure if they're doing something bad or this or that. And it's my job to answer every single element of that equation. Right, okay, that, there's that one where you're not really sure. Or you're in a bar, Matt, Matt. You're in a bar, and a guy's coming up to you. He's like, yo, what, what's your problem, blah, 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 blah. You know, you have to understand that this is verbal violence. And verbal violence can es- escalate to a higher level of violence, punching, kicking, or something like that, or a knife drawn or something like that. But you have to see that as a certain level of violence, too, and react accordingly. And, and, and you know, again... You pull out your weapon and shoot the guy. You're going to jail. That, that's not that's not appropriate. Right. 
you know, and the self-defense encounter does not end when the encounter's over. It ends, are you going to go to jail? How do you, how do you talk to the cops when they come, if they come? Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, I just run away. Well, you know, good luck with that. You know, maybe they find you. You know, there was a video that circulated a couple days ago about a football game. Did you see it? Where the, 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 there's like at the Panthers game, football Panthers, no, is that no, right? No, yeah, anyway, it's so it's this guy and they're very heated in the stands and it's an older den- gentleman and uh, also a younger person. And the younger person is obviously a really horrible person and he just cocks his hand back after the verbal violence. He cocks his hand back and clocks the old dude. Right, right, and right, just, yeah. you saw it, right? Saw and he, it, yeah. just, he just wrecks him. And it's just terrible. But the older guy didn't realize that the verbal violence is escalating, escalating, escalating. Right. Boom. He didn't, he didn't answer the verbal violence. Or the, what he should have done was made space or kept his hands up and moved out of the way. Verbal violence is violence. You know, but that's that first level of escalation. Then the second level is immediate pushing. You know, hey, if somebody puts their hands on you, pushes you, that, you have to understand that as, as an assault. Now, you're, you're, what your response is, and this is, let's look at New York law right now. The, the equivalency of force is the way the law goes. I'll keep it simple. But basically, if I push you, I can't punch you and just deck you, right? If you punch me and I, and I take out a knife and slice you up, I'm going to jail. If it's only, I can only answer deadly force with deadly force. The force has to be equivalent. And if you start the fight, but I go past that equivalency, I can go to jail. Now, now, each state is different because these are, these are uh, uh, local local laws, but they're generally kind of the similar depending on what state you are. Obviously, mm-hmm. Texas and standing around laws and all that is a little <laughs> different. No, you know, in Florida, it's sure. different. Yeah. You know, and I'm not being facetious here. I mean, you have to understand it. whatever state you're in, you have to understand the legal context of where you're fighting. Right. So I would say to every martial artist out there, look at the law. Okay, but the, the second thing is now we go, I'm going to, you know, th- that's what I'm saying about Jocko Wolnick. It's like he's not seeing a woman's perspective. But the other, the other side of the story, and I'm going to go back to Napoleon, my student. He's like, you know, Renee, you're always telling me about to get ready for fighting, fighting. But, you know, I keep my nose clean. You know, I, I, I'm married kid, I'm married with kids. I, 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 I live in a decent area. I don't have, you know, anybody around me who's, who's so I, I don't go to bars. The chance that I could get into a fight is very small. So why, why are you on me? Just, I just want to get some work out in. So let's talk about that element. Okay, now, what are the chances that you... And there's an article by a guy named Emil Fisher. He's on Jiu-Jitsu Times, and he said the same thing. He's like, yeah, you know, everybody talks about Jiu-Jitsu working in a street fight or whatever. Who cares? Because, I, you know, I live in a nice neighborhood, and I don't go out to bars, and I don't do this, so I'll probably never get into a street fight. So screw it. I'm just going to transport Jiu-Jitsu. And it's not disrespect for him. He's a great competitor, and he seems like a decent guy, whatever. Uh, but that's what he said. That is not true. Okay? So let's 2016 crime report just came out. Just came out a week ago. From You can go on the FBI website. You can download it. The crime statistics for, for the U.S. according all of 2016. Okay, there were over 1,200,000 uh, uh, assaults. Uh, okay, now how many people are in the United States right now? 325 million. Is there a hundred, one million? So there's a one in, one in 300 chance that you'll be assaulted. Mm-hmm. Now, you're like, one in 300, that's not so bad. Now, one in 300, but think of your overall life. Yeah, yeah. And also, this is, this, these are reported assaults, and when sure. we're talking about assaults, we're talking about aggravated assault mm-hmm. and murder. We're, we're not talking about like you know someone throwing a punch at you in the stadium. And also, the statistics are a little bit different. So, for example... If a guy, if a criminal doubled up 
and he did like arson and you know murder and this and that. He'll only be counted for the, the worst one, murder. So so you have these like so called super criminals that that's actually a problematic <laughs> term. But but they're guys who in one shot commit a lot of bad stuff. Mm-hmm. So they're 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 but they're on the statistical. They're only locked in the top crime. So those are a little misleading too. And and that doesn't count like. Most women don't report their rapes. Right. That's number one. So let's just leave that alone. So first of all, you, you were talking a certain level, high level of violence. That's what we're talking about over there. So it's, for the highest level of violence, murder and assault, it's one in 300. That's actually not that big for the rest of your life. I'm not, I downloaded the Citizen app, and after having it on my phone for two weeks, I'm more scared to walk around my neighborhood. Don't be scared. Be aware. Be aware. Mm-hmm. But, but, but be, you know, I mean, it's... Every day. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Things are happening. One in 300 is not, a, like, for the rest of your life every day means out of the 300 people you meet, that 300th guy could be an ass- one of those people you meet. And how many people do you meet? Do you, you probably meet, if you live in New York City, you probably meet a good 100 different people a day just passing on the subway. Right. And more than that, maybe. So your chance that you could encounter a violent assault, now I'm talking that's the other, that's the end of that's not the groping, the low-level assault. That's the high-level, like, I'm a psychopath assault. That, those are the statistics I'm talking about because they don't ca- categorize. These are statistics where police have been called and it's like a big deal, an aggravated assault, murder, you know, the big stuff, right? Not like misdemeanor charges and all that crap, right? But that's what, because if you get into a fist fight on the street, it's a misdemeanor. They don't really care about that, mm-hmm. right? So that's what we're talking about here. So, but the chance that you could be in a unreported road rage incident, which has happened to many of my friends living in California, let me tell you, it's still like that. Mm-hmm. You know, road rage is crazy. A road rage incident where unreported, or the guy's screaming at you, bah, 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 bah. somebody just you know cut you off, and then they, they they try and bump your car. This happened to me years ago, where I I I'm not the best driver. That's <laughs> I have to confess about that. Well, you're from New York, so. <laughs> Oh, is it? <laughs> well, you know, my mom and, and Mike always is like, you're a terrible driver. <laughs> you know, that's probably why I don't drive. I don't enjoy driving anyway. But, but, you know, I got off the off-ramp, and this guy came in front of me, and I just I kind of veered, and he just got super pissed off. So he kept driving in front of me and stopping, like crazy stopping to make me hit him almost, right? Mm-hmm. And then finally, he pulled over the side and waved me over to pull over with him. I'm like, yeah. Okay. Let's do that. Yeah. Right. Oh, no, you know, thank you. Uh, you know, I'll only fight for money. Thank you very much. You <laughs> yeah. know, but but you know that that is a likely scenario. Or this happened to a famous jiu-jitsu instructor. Uh, you know, we're talking about the super high level assault. If you're a, a wealthy person, uh, you could you could be a target of an assault. You, you never know. Mm-hmm. And he wakes up and there's a gun pointed. He's sleeping in bed and there's a gun pointed at his head and he's like, "You're gonna give me everything you own, or I'm gonna shoot your little baby." And, you know, or in your wife. And that's what happened. Thank God that instructor managed to fight his way out and save his life. Mm-hmm. But uh, those things can happen. And if you close your eyes to it and say, oh, you know, I, we live in this safe place. You know, you're, 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 you're living in a reality that, that might be your reality. Let's say it is your reality. Let's say it is, Matt, you, you're a rich guy. You have, like, 30 guards around you, and you live in a, a, a gated community. Sounds and, nice. Yeah, it does sound nice, right? <laughs> Maybe that is your reality. It's not the reality of everyone else. Not everybody can have that reality. You're, you're a very privileged person. You cannot speak to the rest of the people who live in the South Bronx or you know, New York, um, uh, East New York 
or Bushwick or whatever. These are neighborhoods in New York, for those who are not familiar, that are, you know, a little bit more dangerous. Obviously, they're not so bad. New York's not like what it was. But you can't, you know, you can't guarantee you're going to be safe all the time, particularly if you're, forget about being a woman, if you're a guy who's 130 pounds or very, very common target is a 65-plus-year-old male. So, right. you know, as, as, a, as I have one student, his, his Marlon, we were talking about before. Marlon is like 220, he's like 6'5", he's an amazing guy. And I'm like, Marlon, you'll never understand what it's like to be this other student, Dana, who is, you know, 105 pounds. You'll never understand her reality. But also, you won't understand the reality of maybe someone who lives in, you know, really distraught neighborhood. Obviously, uh, drugs can be an issue in that, and drug violence, or... Forget about what if you're a security personnel or you're in the military. So they, 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 you have to see past your own, your own viewpoint. And when we talk about self-defense, don't talk about my experience. Talk about you, the experience of the people in our general community. It's not always your experience. To, 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 it's, it's a logical fallacy that, that, uh, you know, to, to project what you know on everyone else and what your experience is on everyone else. It's not everybody's experience. Mm-hmm. So... I want our academy to serve the needs of everyone. So the academy here is for self-defense and, and, and fighting. So that's the paradigm we're going to train in. And, and if you think you'll never experience that, hmm, you're probably wrong, but hopefully you're right. But it's better to know and be prepared than it is to, to, to when that stuff happens, to be like, oh, crap. And that has happened to a lot of martial artists I know where they actually get into a situation that really required real training and they were completely unprepared, completely, utterly unprepared, and the fear and the helplessness and the just the utter, be- like, <gasps> that's, I don't want anybody to feel that because I actually felt that, not in a really horrible self-defense scanner, although I've had those, um, but you know, I trained for years and I had a situation with uh, a schoolmate and this was, you know, I was about 15 or so. And he wasn't a bad guy. We weren't really fighting, fighting. But we, we just got into a little tussle. It wasn't a fight, fight. We were, we were friends. But he, he was not trying to hurt me. So, but I, I was like, yeah, I know karate or whatever. And he just slammed me with the, you know, the base barbarian choke and slammed me down into some seats. And I was stuck in seats getting choked. And like I said, he was not trying to hurt me. We were just, we were just roughhousing, you know. But I'm sitting there. I'm like man, if this guy actually tried to hurt me, I'd be dead right now. I don't know anything to do. I have no idea what to do here. All my training is failing me. And I don't want anybody to ever experience that. Now, on the other side, I want to talk about another person that I'm going to badmouth before. <laughs> Not badmouth. I have tremendous respect for him. I mentioned him on the podcast. And he says something very interesting. And he said, you know, and this is, this is a criticism. People criticize his, his martial arts style and how he fights. And I have no criticism. He's been great in MMA, and I'm just a huge fan. His name is Ryan Hall. And Ryan Hall is actually a great fighter. But he has a few techniques that people say, oh, well, that won't work in MMA or blah, blah, blah. And he's adjusted and made them work, so cool. But he, he has an interview where he says, and he's right, he's right. He's like people from the combatives community, which the combatives are all like self-defense and this and tactical, blah, 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 blah. And they're usually like fat old guys in camos. 
you know, who, who like, you know, like don't, don't do Steven anything. Seagal. Yeah. Yeah. Just about that. Right. Exactly. Like there's a bunch of, they like, okay, I put my camo pants on, which means I can fight. <laughs> you know, like I'm tactical. You know, that's a new thing. Put tactical. See, I, when I wrote the Academy, I said radical. I should have been tactical fighting. Right? Would have made much more money, you know, a tactical Krav Maga. Uh, no, no. Anyway, but, but, um, so, so he says, you know, everybody can make up a situation that I, my technique will work in or won't work in. So for example, Okay, you're saying, oh, it won't work in this situation. Oh, which is two guys. Jiu-jitsu won't work against two people. That's not always true, but it can be. Okay, oh, jiu-jitsu won't work against knives. Well, that, that, you know, that's legitimate. Okay, if you train this way, it can make it work. Oh, jiu-jitsu won't work against eight people with machine guns. Yeah, of course. Sure. Like, so, and he's saying, like, oh, you know, everybody makes up positions, situations to criticize jiu-jitsu, right? And, and to some extent, he's right, you know? But he's like, so screw them and screw thinking about stuff. Just, just, just train. I don't agree with his conclusion, although I have absolute respect for him. But he's like, basically, let's just train. No, you're not really addressing self-defense unless you start looking at the statistics of how things happen. So, so let's talk about the, the scientific method. And actually, Ryan Hall's a really great guy. I hope you listen to this podcast because I think you'll understand because he's also brilliant, brilliant. He's like a PhD in math or something. He's a brilliant guy. He's a really interesting person. But, you know, let's look at... And I hear Michael's, her eyes are glazing because he knows I'm going to talk for a little bit. <laughs> but let's look at the history of the scientific method. So um, way back in the 5th century BC, there was this guy named Plato. And if you know from your philosophic, philosophy class, Plato had ideals, idealized types. So there's the ideal triangle or you know, triangle shape or the ideal desk. or There's these, these, these ideals of what a thing is. And they, we can never understand them, the ideal. So there's no use in like the ideal flower or ideal this. this these, these, these archetypes of things mm-hmm. that we can never touch. But that's what those things really are. But we'll never know reality because we don't understand these ideals. We can't ever understand reality because the ideals are too uh, divorced from our daily existence. That was kind of his philosophy. It's platonic ideals, you know. And I'm not a philosopher, so I'm sure we're going to get people on the philosophy saying, Renee, you butchered it. But that's basically kind of like why the scientific method under the platonic side didn't develop so much they're, they're especially in the religious traditions like um you know the, the, the platonic theories started be adopted by catholicism and and it became kind of like a, a dogma there right but then they're saying okay this was a pushback in what started in the renaissance or a little bit before that is that okay we can't understand ideals but if we say say the ideal flower there's the ideal flower we can't understand the ideal flower but what we'll do is we'll look at all the flowers around and we'll kind of make an average of all the flowers we see, and then we'll figure out what this basic average is, and that's about as close as we can get. So it's not perfect, but we can really learn something. Mm-hmm. And that's how the scientific method got born. It's like, okay, let's look at all the data around us and create a, a, a general understanding of our reality. Now, it's not perfect. So if you look, take every, every cold virus and look at all of them and what the data is and how we destroy cold virus, okay, we're not, all those cold viruses would be a little different, but there will be similarities enough that we can say, okay, when you fight the cold virus, you want to do this, or I should say the flu, whatever. You know? So you can enhance your knowledge of understanding and science, and that's how the scientific method got started. So let's take that to self-defense. You could say, okay, there are all these different self-defense paradigms and this and that, but really they're not. If you look at the data, and it's right on the Justice Department websites, there are very, very specific methods that attacks happen. Very specific. And, and, and there are not a lot of them. 
But yeah, they're they're divorced. Okay, obviously there's the Las Vegas shooter. Okay, well, what do you do in that situation? You know, obviously you just duck under something and don't get shot. But a lot of times there are specific patterns of escalation or angles of assault or this. And if you look at all these details, you can you can see commonalities. Now, obviously, every single assault will be different. But if we generally go towards the certain commonalities of assault, you can prepare someone somewhat. You can't prepare for everything. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean just because you can't prepare for everything doesn't mean you prepare for nothing. Right. You know, and, and going back to Napoleon, he's like, yeah, yeah, but, you know, you, you know what, what if a guy comes in my, you know, home with a machine gun? Yeah, okay, you're screwed. <laughs> <laughs> but what if he doesn't have a machine gun, he just has a knife, yeah. and maybe you could do something. Or maybe, you know, uh, and, and I've had people uh, come train with me from West Point. These, these two wonderful brothers, and they're just fantastic. And they were adapting a lot of what they learned at my academy for combat on the field. And, and they said they were more, well better prepared for combat than any of their cohort in West Point who was training different stuff, right? And not that the other people weren't training, but they were better prepared because I showed them how to take what they did and adapt it to a lot of combative situations. And we really talked about self-defense here. And they would always, as much as they could, try and take the self-defense class. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they just felt much safer and, and prepared for battle. Now, I have never been to war. I've never been on a battlefield. Yet, because I understand the general nature of how human bodies work, I can say probably this is what's going to happen if the guy's a machine gun, if he does this or this. And also, I research a lot, you know, what's going to happen here. So I can prepare you for a lot of eventualities as long as you're training for real. Mm-hmm. But it also, I look at the statistics and say, this is going to happen here, this is going to happen here, this is going to happen here. So, yes, I can, I've never been groped. <laughs> but I can take Michael and someone, and you said, you, you grab some people's fingers. Michael is like the best finger breaker I've ever met. <laughs> oh, she boy. Can, yeah, you know what you want to do. That's my move, yes. That's her move, breaking guy's fingers. I've right? also never had a broken bone, so maybe we need to make another wager in the future. No, that, <laughs> no, no, no lasting damage. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know... You've, I, had, you've had to react back to an experience with physical force? Um, not since I started training. Okay. Thank God, yeah. Yeah. But didn't you have that one situation where you grabbed the guy's fingers a little bit and kind of like, it was like escalating on the train? I thought you said had said something like that mm-hmm. once. Oh, okay, okay, I misunderstood. But, but, um, but uh, you know, I, I, I have never been groped, yet I can talk about that experience because I've researched it, mm-hmm. generally speaking, how these things happen. I can talk about how to fight a guy who's 100 pounds heavier and assaulting an elevator because I've seen probably 800 assault videos like that, and I've also looked at the statistics of crime. I can talk about knife fighting. Now, I don't mean you're fighting with a knife and I'm fighting with a knife. I'm talking about... You are assaulting me because the patterns of assault, and I'm not the only one. I'm going to post also an article on the on the martial culture webpage about this. There was a he's a he's a uh, martial artist, and he talks about how Kali and Eskrima are not, and this goes for a lot of martial arts, real martial arts. This is what I'm saying: are not self defense. And I talked about the Benny Urquidez video a little bit before. I mean, Benny Urquidez, we got to train real, meaning you got to like actually spar. So Benny the Jet is a kickboxer, so he's thinking in his kickboxing box. And what he's saying in that video is absolutely correct. If you're not sparring, you're, you're not, you're not going to be prepared for anything. So, but that's the, only the second level of, 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 contact, of, of aggressive context. So now we're punching, kicking, or something like that. Mm-hmm. But you know, let's think of a kickboxing match, or an MMA match, or a, a karate match, or a taekwondo match. Or what happens first? You and I shake hands, or we bow, or whatever. We enter the Somebody says, let's go, and we fight. 
that's not how self-defense happens. Mm-hmm. That is not how it happens. How does it happen? You attack me out of nowhere, or you detest me, you escalate, escalate, you escalate with verbal aggression or physical aggression. You escalate little by little, and you keep biting away at my, at me, my, my space or my, yeah, or, and you go, boom, then you go. Or, that's usually how it is on male and female, or I just come out of nowhere, and I put a knife to your throat, or I smash your head into a brick wall and then mug you or whatever. Mm-hmm. I come in an oblique angle, means a side angle, and I just assault you where you can't see me. You swallow you from your blind spot. So that's how it happens. And this, um, if you're doing knife fighting, if, you know, Kali, which is your knife versus my knife, or you're doing boxing, you're boxing versus mine, or you're jiu-jitsu versus mine, we're dueling. We're dueling. We agree to meet at dawn, and we duel, you know, mm-hmm. showdown at the OK Corral, whatever. Sure. You know, like, you, we both know when the fight starts, and we're both fighting facing each other. That is not self-defense. That's not how it happens. You know, there's this escalation period. That's one way it happens. Or the guy just comes, but bum rushes you and sucker punches you. And obviously, you can't be ready for everything. But we, I teach you enough of how to deal with those angles, those assaults to prepare. I was actually, for a very, very, very brief time, I was the world's worst bouncer. Because <laughs> I'm not very intimidating looking. The best bouncers don't fight. They're just intimidating looking. But for a very brief time, I worked for a bouncer. And I, I remember, I'll tell you a story, that there was a big brawl in the bar. And I come out, and I come out right out of the door of the way, the, the, our, our area where we were, you know, kind of hanging out. And I'm like, what's going on? The minute I walk out, someone sucker punches me from behind. And the thing is, I trained the defense so much, not to say I'm so amazing, it's not what I'm trying to say, but I rolled with it, and I made distance, and I was okay. And he, he clonked me a little bit, but not knocking me out. And I just kind of rolled with it. And got out of distance, and then and I wanted to kick the crap out of him. <laughs> but it was sort of like Braveheart, the sea of people fighting, closed in between us. And I'm like, crap, where'd that guy go? <laughs> so I never got the data back. But but there was this big, you know, chaotic brawl. And um, and that that's what it's like. You know, and, and if you're not dealing with chaos, people attacking you at oblique angles. And you know, uh, with Kali, it's like your knife versus my knife. Okay, we touch knives, we touch hands or whatever, or we're facing each other, and we do this thing called Sinawali. For this guy's not familiar, it's like it's a warm up exercise, but they, they basically clash swords, like pop, 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 pop. You know, it's kind of this warm up. And I'm not saying it has no value, just like boxing will have some value, MMA training will have some value. But if you don't up the level of chaos in your training, up the level of intensity, up the level of discomfort, you are not doing self-defense. So what I have to do is bum rush you from behind. So Mariko knows in the <laughs> self-defense class, I'll walk around to people, and then when they don't see me coming, so the girls, I'll just grab a girl by her hair and just start smacking her and just drag her around, and they have to defend. And I'm like really assaulting. I'm not using jiu-jitsu, but, you know, because obviously that would be different, but I'm just like pretending to be an attacker, and they're just talking, and I come from behind them and I just grab them. Now, of course, they're in the self-defense class, so they're a little bit more aware. But I want that to translate to something. Today, we were also, you heard me train, having the guy attack her. But <laughs> the other thing was, the other thing was I took a, it was a wiffle ball bat, so it wasn't a hard baseball bat. But, you know, I just walked up behind one of the guys and just started wailing him with the baseball bat. And he just had to block and, 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 and do it. And, and you, that's kind of how it happens. Now, the, the article I was talking about, about the, the self-defense expert who talked about knife fighting, he looked at... I gotta forget what it was, something like four or five hundred knife assault videos. So he focused on criminal knife assault videos. 
and mostly civilian, civilian, but there are some civilian versus law enforcement officer in there too. And he found that like something like 90%, I'm, I'm not, I'll, I'll put the article up, but something like 90% of the article is the same. Basically, one arm up, coming from a peak angle, and prison shank. So it's not like I'm in front of the guy. and I, You know, you remember that scene from Indiana Jones right. where the guy pulls the, you know, the sword out <laughs> and he goes, ah, you know, if a guy does that to me, pulls the sword out and goes, I'm going to fight you, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to walk away. <laughs> like, like, you know, there's no fainting in, in assaults. You know, it's so Kali and, and boxing, it's like a faint, I'll do this. There's no fainting in assaults because if you faint, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to walk away. You have to close the distance and start bum-rushing me and put that knife right to my throat or start shanking me. Because if you don't do that, I'm going to make distance and walk away or take a chair and throw it at your head or just whatever. I'll just walk away. Mm-hmm. You can't, what's the objective of an assault? It's to take my money or take my life. So you have to be close quarters. You have to commit. You can't faint. You can't, you know, back and forth, bah, bah, bah. You can't be like that, that, that sword fight in the prison, you know, the, the, the uh, prince, um, Princess Bride. Remember that sword fight? Where, yeah. You know the one I'm talking about where yeah. they're like, oh, you do the, you know, Verhoeven maneuver. Oh, I do this and I counter <laughs> with this and I counter this. And that. You know, like, yeah, that's great, but that's not fighting. You know, that's what people are doing. They're dueling. Mm-hmm. MMA is dueling. Exactly. Now, the leverages of MMA are real. And the leverages of all these arts are real, meaning the, efficient, the efficiencies of the strikes, the efficiencies of the hold are real. But the starting point is different. So, but that's a huge difference. Right. And you have to start in chaos. You have to induce chaos. And what I try and do with my students very often is as much as I can induce chaos when they're ready. So my white belts are not really ready for that. Some of my blue belts are. And um, my, my higher ranks, like my, my champion Chad, he's, he's done that many times. Where I just come behind and put it, you just start grappling with a fake knife or something like that. And, and he just, right out of the blue, you know, I just kind of assault him, you know. And he is absolutely ready for that chaos. And that means that he's as real as he can be. You're never going to be prepared for everything, but you, what you can be prepared for a lot of things if you integrate chaos into your environment, the unexpected. You get out of that like dueling box. You, you're not, the guy's not standing right in front of you. And I, I talked about this in another podcast uh, where, uh, you know, you, I used to, one of my teachers made me spin around, you know, 40 times, and then he assaulted me. Right. And that's, that, like, you do that, it's the worst because you just can't understand what's going around on you. And you're just, you're just in this whirlwind, and you just have to react. Hmm. And even then, that's not 100% real, but it it's, will prepare you tremendously. And if you're doing, uh, if you're do, doing and interested in any type of self-defense, you have to train in that paradigm. But also, you have to train in ways that address the specific con- uh, uh, experiences of your students, whether it's a girl, and she's a 100-pound girl, she's going to be assaulted in a lot of ways that you never will. I will never be groped on a train. You know, it'll never happen. If you're teaching a 61-year-old student, I have a 61-year-old student, and he's in the prime area of, of assault, and he's a wealthy individual. And let me tell you, he's, statistically speaking, he is going to be a target because he's older. Mm-hmm. Probably the guy's going to look at him, a, you know, a 200-pound, 20-year-old is going to look at him and be like, huh, frail old guy. He's not frail, but, you know, like, old guy. Hmm, nice watch. Let me go get him. You know, so, you, you know, you have to see that you're like, oh, I'll never experience violence. Yeah, bull crap. You will someday, possibly. And you're, you don't, that doesn't speak, your experience doesn't speak for other, anyone else. I think if people mm-hmm. looked into their experiences 
everybody can find a point where it, they may have experienced verbal violence that right. could have escalated. Mm-hmm. Intimidation yeah. is a type of violence, too. Sure. Yeah, right. absolutely. Do you give your uh, your students homework assignments like in Fight Club to go out and walk in a dangerous neighborhood or go start a fight? I, I give them <laughs> homework, but not not like that. No. But, okay. but but you know what? I, I, I told I told everybody, I give them certain things to think about, you know? And, and it's, you joke about Fight Club, but... But yeah, you know, just think about stuff, right? You know, be aware. Um, yeah, I'm not so much home. It depends. It also depends on belt level, right? So mm-hmm. first, you have to have. How do you be real? How do you be real? first and foremost? Physical fitness. <laughs> if you're a fat Steven Seagal crap, good luck. You know, you and you know what? Self defense. I don't define self defense as just, you know, oh, am I fighting for my life? You know, in a with the guy with a knife. No, it's like you're more likely to die of heart disease. So if you're not if you're not healthy, you're not defending your body from outside threat. In this threat, in this case, the threat is, you know, hardened arteries. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you got to be healthy. And good luck getting out of chaos if you, your body's not in good shape. Excuse me. If your body's not in good shape, good luck getting out of chaos. Right? Especially two-on-one. Don't, you know, you're fat, like, combative dude. Don't tell me you can defend yourself when you can barely, like, touch your toes <laughs> you know like that's every combative dude out there this is, so you know man you're not familiar there's like martial arts divided now in between like the traditional martial arts the mma arts and then combatives and the combative guys are like oh yeah mma is not fighting because they're rules and we train no rules but they're all a bunch of fat guys who like pretend and you know and they go to the shooting range and you know whatever but you know <laughs> now that's to say that combatives don't have value they have some value but but first and foremost you have to train with with some physical fitness the second thing is you have to train in an MMA paradigm first, meaning or boxing or kickboxing or Muay Thai or Jiu-Jitsu or whatever paradigm first, to understand your body as a weapon. And I personally believe in starting people in Jiu-Jitsu because it gets the fear element right there. Mm-hmm. So you, if you start kickboxing first, it's great, but you don't actually spar that much in the beginning because you're not ready. You're just going to get hurt. But in Jiu-Jitsu, like a weekend, man, I get a big guy to sit on your chest. So, man, if you start Jiu-Jitsu tomorrow, I'd be like, okay, or a couple week weekend, now you know you're escaping. Okay, I'm going to get the biggest guy in the room to sit on your chest and pin you there, and you got to get out. And then you're going to hyperventilate. You'd be like, this freaking class sucks. <laughs> you know, <laughs> when, Yeah, right, right, yeah. exactly. Yeah, right? Remember I did that to you? Yeah. Where was Dave Machine was the first one? That I, I'd put that on. was uh, Mike Nagy. Mike Nagy. Mike Nagy. Big guy. Big guy. And he's like, yeah, two, 210. Yeah. Yeah, we call him the panda. <laughs> the original panda. And he's a big roly-poly panda. It seems like everybody here gets a nice, cool nickname. I met, <laughs> I met Reese's Pieces today. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we got the panda. Yeah. Wow. We got we got two pandas, the original panda and then the other panda. Wow. And then we got uh, Mariko's nickname. What, you, you can tell me your nickname. My nickname is Happy Feet. Aww. Like the penguin. Oh, you like to dance? Because my footwork is really bad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, I walk uh, like a penguin. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> That's funny. I know, it's very funny. And what's, what, does he have a nickname? Hatao. which means big rat. There you go. I used to hate it. So what I did, I, I, you know, you just get used to it, and um, I've come to embrace it. <laughs> my nickname growing up was Bubba, so. Bubba, that's kind of cool. Yeah, I don't know. Like, like, like Bubba Gump. Yeah, I guess, yeah. It's weird. But Bubba sounds kind of tough. Yeah. Yeah. But no. Country uh, family. Uh, yeah. Everybody gets a nickname in the Academy. And, and it, there's a lot of reasons. Um, one, and, and this is another one, is I can't teach a martial art without teaching, giving people a little bit of a thick skin. So I tease them. Mm-hmm. And I really tease them over and over again. And I kind of get under their skin. Because I can't teach you a move. Because the first day, if you train with me, Mark, the first day I teach you a rear naked joke. 
If you hold that rear naked choke 45 seconds on someone, they will die. I cannot teach you a lethal move without giving you a little bit of a thick skin. So I, I, this is a, this is not just my tradition. It's a, it's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu tradition, but they give people nicknames and they really, really rib them. Mm-hmm. So they can also give them a little bit of self-control that somebody says, yo, Matt, get in my phone. And you're like, dude, whatever. That's not bothering me. And, and, and words are words. I will never respond with violence against someone who's just yelling obscenities at me or whatever. Like, no, that's just stupid. I'm going to walk away and just have a nice dinner with my wife. But there was a time in my life where I would have been very little, like, <laughs> you know, I'm going to, you know, and that's not self-defense anymore. That's ego defense. Mm-hmm. I'm not interested in ego defense. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in self-defense. If you can walk away, you walk away. But, you know, uh, coming back to, um, to, you know, what we're saying is, first, you know, you have to have physical fitness. Second, you have to be a, a weapon. And by being a weapon, it means you have to have some coordination, some, some understanding of the stress response, the adrenaline response. Have you ever given a speech in front of someone who just got totally, totally nervous? Yes. Imagine if I was punching you in the face. <laughs> during the speech? <laughs> yeah, during the speech. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. You know, or, or, yeah or just, or just you know, doing something. Um, there, there, we have to ex- learn how to execute moves under pressure. And boxing, kickboxing, Muay Thai, any, any dueling sport, any sport will help you with that because mm-hmm. you have to perform under pressure with a non-resisting opponent. But that's still a box, but it still helps. It helps a lot because you learn how to use your weapon, you use your body, you learn coordination, you learn this, you learn that. If you don't have coordination, you don't have balance, you're, you're good luck, buddy. You know, you're back in Tai Chi world. You, know? <laughs> you, know, you, you ain't got nothing. So you have to learn, one, coordination. I mean, one, physical fitness. Then your body's a weapon, which includes coordination, a bit of musculature, um, uh, and, and balance and things like that, and how to fight under pressure. Then once you've got those bases covered, now, as I said before, we get out of the box, but what we do is we add chaos and tremendous amounts of mental discomfort and unpredictability. And those, if you don't have those, you're, you're, you're not doing self-defense. And, and, and I say like this is basically, let's talk about personal training for a second. You know, they, they talk about like, okay, what you want to do is confuse your muscles. You don't want to do a bench press seven days a week, every single day, because eventually your body's going to get used to it and it's not going to really grow. So you do one day, you do bench press, then you do some pull-ups, the next day you do this, the next day you do this. Obviously, you confuse your body. You give body, your body different inputs, and then eventually it starts developing over and over again. Well, fighting's the same thing. What I'm going to do is we're going to do different inputs, different things. I'm going to attack you this way. I'm going to attack you that way. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. But you go back to your basic roots of yourself as a fighter, and you adapt to those situations. And adaptability is the most important attribute of self-defense. Mm-hmm. Adaptability after awareness. But that's, that's you know before the encounter. Okay, so that's what I'm saying is like if you're not integrating those aspects, you're just as crazy as those, you know, you know, Tai Chi guys we discussed the other day. Or you're stuck in your dueling mode. And, you know, Benny the Jet, who's an amazing professor, he's talking about how you get real in that dueling mode. And that's for sure true. But what's in true is after you, after you get that down and your body's a weapon, you have to move away into chaos. And then on my part, the last issue is as an instructor, should we stop? That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, police right there. Never heard that. Yeah. Oh, oh. Ambulance, right? Different ambulance yeah. sound. I've never heard that one before. Yeah. Um, 
then as an instructor, I have to constantly adapt my teaching protocols for your personal experience. Mm-hmm. So whether, you know, whether it's a woman or an older guy or whatever, how are you going to get assaulted most likely? And the statistics show it. Then I have to prepare you for your personal experience. And that's, that's kind of like what makes you know, self-defense self-defense. And if you're just there all day doing Kali, you ain't doing self-defense because the patterns of knife assault are not the patterns of dueling. The, the way a guy's going to sucker punch you is not the pattern of boxing. Mm-hmm. The way a guy's going to attack you is you know, from behind and you know, grab your jacket and start wailing on you is not the pattern of MMA. Mm-hmm. Now, those, all those training help. They will help, but you have to go beyond them and see what violence really looks like. And guys, go on, there's teachers out there, go to World Star Hip Hop, or all these fights. No, but you know, they have a tremendous amount of CCTV footage of, yeah. of violent assaults. And you'll see right away. You know, I, I look at fight videos all the time, and especially assault videos. I have like a collection of like 800 of them now. They're like, no more than that. I don't even know. <laughs> You're like, on some FBI monitoring list, yeah. I believe. <laughs> well. But I always go to the statistics. They're, they're yeah. available. Go to the crime statistics. And, and it's funny how many people, I'll give you, just I'll stop, because how many people say they know how to kickbox or fight or whatever, and they come into my dojo, and they never learn how to defend a headbutt. A headbutt is one of the most common unarmed assault patterns there is. And yet, they're like, they look at me like, like, I'm nuts. Like, what? But headbutts are illegal in kickbox. Well, pff, who cares? <laughs> I'm going to headbutt you right now. Because <laughs> that's one of the most common things I'll ever do. And, you know, I met, I told you the other, I met a, I met a, a, a I saw a jiu-jitsu guy. It was a high-level jiu-jitsu guy. get put in a street headlock mm-hmm. and couldn't get out. Hmm. Like, pff, it means you're stuck in your box and not thinking about reality. Headlock, headbutt, and a, and a shanking knife assault. You're not preparing for that. You, you've given up reality. You know? A lot so, of stuff to digest. That's uh, my that's my take. You know? No, it's important to be aware and important to be knowledgeable and understand that that while we're not trying to say these things to scare anybody, you know, no. you, you have to to realize you live in a world where violence occurs, yeah. um, and be ready for it. Yeah, and most academies, you know, and I'll, I'll be honest here, will not prepare for that because you know what? It sucks. It sucks. It's so much more fun to go and have a great in the jiu-jitsu world have a go and have a great role with your buddies mm-hmm. go and you, you we do jiu-jitsu have a great time and we laugh and we have some fun and there's a place for that but there's also there's not a place for that as well it can't be only that so some of my students get really really bent out of shape when I just pull the hammer down and I'm like Da-da! and I just you know and I don't like doing it but I know I have to as an instructor I have to because otherwise I'm not being real and this academy is about being real mm-hmm. and I hope I'm not the only one out there you know but um, I'll leave an, a, a, a story this is this is last story okay. I'll shut up. <laughs> but I trained with um, with an instructor uh, Marcos and um, Professor Marcos he's, he's based out of Dallas now and this is this is when I, I think I, I mentioned the story maybe on another podcast but I I'm not sure but, you know, I was getting, thinking of getting ready for fighting and things like that. And I'm having this really friendly role with uh, my friend Andreas, who is my training partner. And we're having a great time. We're just rolling, laughing. And my Marcos comes over and he goes, what are you doing? You think you want to fight with that bull crap? I'm censoring. Well, <laughs> that's a lot of... Uh, and, you know, and he comes over and he just starts smacking me in the face like as hard as he can. And... And everybody thought it was abusive. People were like, what was going on? 
But I knew exactly what he was doing. The person who turned me into a guy who could not just do martial arts, but who could fight was Marco Santos. He was the guy who transformed me into someone who could fight. Before that, if something happened, I'd be bent out of shape. I'd be like, adrenaline, adrenaline, adrenaline. After training with Marcos, I'm like, bring it on, motherfucker. <laughs> you know, like, like, whatever you got. You got a knife, you got a knife, bring it on. Yeah. And I can say that because a guy tried to stab me on the street. And thanks to Professor Marcos, like, I was fine. Wow. And, uh, and if it, you know, he and I don't really, we're not in contact so much anymore, but I'm forever grateful for the, the guy who turned up the intensity and showed me what, what real violence was. Because he grew up in Rio when it was absolutely insane. And the guy has like 400 street fights, you know, because, wow. because Rio was just nuts back then. Sure. And he's not a violent guy. He's a wonderful person. But... Uh, but he understands violence. Mm-hmm. He understands violence. And I want all my students to understand violence and, uh, and be able to adapt to whatever comes. Mm-hmm. Great. People need to, to come over to Radical MMA and uh, get some... Not just me, but I hope all seek schools... Out. Yeah, seek out all schools kind of have that. You know, a good school will have that orientation. Good. You know, one to the Gracie Academy in Torrance. They have a great... From what I can see, I've never been there, but they, they seem to have a great balance of like, let's have some fun, but then let's also keep it real. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you got to keep it real. Yeah, good. Well, uh, uh, let's end on um, a little bit news story in our uh, little c- culture here. Um, you've heard some, some ambulances go by and some police cars go by. Uh, in a couple of weeks, you won't hear that anymore because we're moving to a studio. We've, we've got a space. So we're going to be in a soundproof room with no uh, sirens going by in a couple weeks. Um, so uh, I just want to announce that. Or to motorcycles, us. too. No motorcycles. <laughs> It'll just be just our voices coming loud and clear through the microphone to you. Um, so I just want to announce that. Um, the new studio will be starting up in a couple weeks. It's called the Gotham Podcast Studio um, down in Tribeca. Um, and if you are listening right now and you have interest in starting a show, we're adding more shows to the Christopher Media Network uh, through the Gotham Podcast Studio. Uh, so reach out to somebody, myself, Matt Peters, uh, and we'll get you started. I also want to thank NutriChef NYC for being a great sponsor for the show and um, supplying great food. And check them out, NutriChefNYC at gmail.com. They can help you out with some stuff. And then obviously, Chris Media, thanks for putting our show out there and the great partnership. And check out all their other shows. So we, we talked about Risen. That's a great new um, uh, organization out of Japan. You got to keep your eye on Risen. Risen. They're going to be Ryzen. Oh, sorry, Ryzen. Like Ryzen Sun, but yeah. it's spelled R I Z I N. Oh, R I Z I N. Okay. Yeah, but it is like Rising. You know, like sure. Tail. Rising. I can appreciate a pun. <laughs> <laughs> we know that. So check. Keep your eye on Ryzen, um, and then uh, look look for some self defense classes. Get out there and, and make yourself aware of what's going on in your neighborhood. Just be aware. You know, this is a tumultuous time we're living in, so absolutely check it out. Make sure you're you're getting good instruction and um, embrace the chaos. We'll leave it there. Thanks everybody for listening. Check you out next week. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter at Marshall underscore Culture and on Instagram.